Um, I actually remember as a kid, I had infringed on someone's trademark. Um, and I ended up in this big legal thread with like 13 corporate lawyers. And I was like 13 at the time. And I was like, okay, like who do I know who's a lawyer? I'm going to CC in my pop. And I think like in like that's when he realized he's like now all of a sudden CC'd into this massive thread. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, Zach here. Okay, a quick announcement and a quick request before we dive into this show. First and foremost, the announcement. We have joined the Hospitality.fm podcast network. This is the largest collection of short-term rental, guest experience, and hospitality podcasts. And we're thrilled that we were invited to join just such an incredible cohort of leaders and innovators and entrepreneurs in the hospitality space. Thanks to Will Slickers, the founder of Hospitality FM, for the invitation to join their network. All right, and now the request. We want to know how to make the show better. So in the show notes below, there's a link. It's a link to a type form. And if you could be so kind as to go into the show notes uh, and complete the survey, it'll help us continue to make the show even better, customizing topics and, and whatnot around the things that you really want to hear about, right? We want to make the show as exciting, as dynamic, as interesting, and ultimately as, as educational as possible. And we can only do that if we know what you think about it. So if you scroll onto the show notes below, for the whole month of January and February here, we're running this survey. If you could be so kind as to take just a few minutes to give me your feedback, I would so, so greatly appreciate it. Again, you can find the link to the survey in the show notes below, or if you're having trouble accessing it for whatever reason, send me an email, Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com, and I will get you a link. Thank you all so much for being here, and really excited to continue to double down on the show and, and make it even greater. All right, folks, enjoy today's episode. In just a moment, you'll meet John Andrew and Whistle, founder and CEO of Wander, one of the most exciting startups in the travel and hospitality space today. John Andrew has a non-traditional schooling experience. He started and ran a game server company when he was just 13 years old, so focusing on homework wasn't a high priority for him. In high school, John Andrew and his father agreed that an online option would be best for him, and it allowed him the opportunity to continue to pursue his projects and build companies. In this episode of Behind the Stays, John Andrew talks about being raised by a single dad, how he started and grew his second company, Coder, what it was like being a Teal Fellow, and of course, the past, the present, and the future of Wander, a company on a mission to verticalize the $100 billion short-term rental industry with a network of smart vacation homes in inspiring places that guests can control from their phones. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet John Andrew. All right, sir. We're live. Welcome, John Andrew. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me. Dude, I'm uh, I'm really excited for this conversation. I feel like I know a lot about you, but I have never talked with you before. So it's one of those funny things where you fall in love with a brand on social, you figure out who the, who the people behind the brand uh, are, and then you start following the people. But I've never actually talked to you. So I'm, I'm just selfishly really excited about this conversation because I've grown in a lot of affinity for Wander over the last, uh, I would say, six to nine months. Amazing. Yeah, super excited to to chat with you as well. Listen to the podcast, obviously. So excited to be on it. Awesome, man. Well, John Andrew, one of my favorite questions to ask folks when they come on the pod, just to so the audience can get a little bit of a sense of who you are, your personality, is it's 5 p.m. on a Friday night. Okay, the the traditional work week, at least for many people, has has ended. Mm -hmm. Are you what are, What are you doing? Are you pouring yourself a drink? Are you toasting to the week that you had and the weekend ahead? Are you prepping to go out, or are you you burning the midnight oil? What What is John Andrew typically doing on a Friday evening? <laughs> yeah, you know it's uh, it's not it's not a super exciting answer. I mean, it's really just uh, just working. Um, you know, I think uh, 
I think a lot of business owners are very conscious of the fact that failure is sort of always right around the corner. I think the statistics for even startup failure are like 90% of startups fail. And so, you know, for me, there's really no definition of time off or, or when the work stops. Yeah. So yeah, Friday, Friday night is, is working, you know, Saturday is working, et cetera. But you know, when you love what you do, it's not a, um, it's not a hardship. I feel very, very lucky to do so. Do you have different like work rhythms throughout the week? Like I, I talked to a number of, of entrepreneurs and you know, it, it, nine, nine to five kind of standard working hours. You're probably, I would guess in a fair number of meetings with team members, maybe with some investors, other, other folks, partners. And then, you know, a lot of people take the evenings and weekends off. So do you find that your like work rhythms change throughout the week? And, and if so, how? Yeah. So there's this interesting, um, Paul Graham talks about, uh, maker schedule versus manager schedule. Hmm. And I really try and have the whole company schedule orient around the maker schedule. The maker schedule has very few meetings. It has lots of time for you to be able to get into flow and, and really to, to dive deep into your work. And so I actually don't spend too much time in meetings. I try and spend as little time as possible, uh, in, in meetings, especially large meetings. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of the flow and and really the balance of it, um, when you when you run a company, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to um, you have to go a step beyond work life balance and really find work life harmony. Hmm. Um, I found it's it's impossible to try and say, okay, at six o'clock I'm going to log off or otherwise, and so. Really what you want to do is architect your life and your schedule in such a way that your work and then also obviously your life are sort of in this constant harmonious relationship. Hmm. And so for me, you know, I truly never turn off. Like as long as I'm awake, if someone sends me a message or otherwise, I'm answering it and dealing with it. And, you know, for, it works well for me. I think that, um, you know, I, I think over time it'll probably become a little bit more rigid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's really no set schedule. It's you work up, wake up and, and, and work and then, uh, yeah. And then go to sleep and kind of repeat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and also uh, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with the, the stage that the company is at, right? Like you, you guys are building, Absolutely. you guys are still in that, like, you know, zero to, to maybe 0.1 stage. Right. Um, and 100%. you're, you're, you're in, you're in grind mode. Um, and so there's, there's not much time for, for anything else right now. Um, I, I got to. I spent a little bit of time googling you before before our chat here, and uh, found a couple of articles. I think some of the information that I found was a little bit incorrect, um, but uh, most of it, I think, I think was correct. And you, John Andrew, strike me as somebody who's who's always had ideas um, and who's kind of like tinkered with things. You're, you're still really young, so tinkered with things since you were you were pretty young. I, I'm curious. Do you remember what your very first business idea was and and do you remember how how old you were when you had that idea <laughs> yeah i mean i i remember um i can't even call them businesses it's maybe like little hustles as a <laughs> uh, as a kid in elementary school you know um like uh i remember basically putting on this um this like theater type thing at the playground and charging kids a quarter um you know, those types of things. Yeah. I think, I think when things got a little bit more serious was I started this game server company when I was 13, 14. Um, and it did pretty well, low six figures, uh, which really meant that I wasn't focused on my homework. You know, we had three, four employees and taxes and, uh, all that sort of fun stuff. And Jeez. so I'd say that's really when, when things became a little bit more, uh, serious. So I would imagine you, you weren't the best student. Is that, is that fair? Well, I mean, school was always really easy. Yeah. Um, now the question of, did I spend much time on it? Not necessarily. So my grades were actually very good. Okay. I just didn't, um, I didn't spend much time actually attending school. Huh. Uh, so sort of the definition of, of truancy, uh, and actually ended up, uh, enrolling in school online, um, in high school, which really gave me a ton of freedom. Um, to, yeah, to go and grow and, and build and explore and all that fun stuff. 
were your parents, did, did they recognize that this was a path that you were uniquely sort of like destined for? Was there a lot of pushback? Was was school sort of this this hot topic at home? Or, or how did your parents react to to your, your, your chosen education path? Yeah. So I was raised by my, uh, my pop. He's a, a single dad, uh, lawyer, really like the most incredible man you'd, you'd ever meet. Hmm. And, um, yeah, as you can imagine, it's, it's not, uh, not in the parenting handbook, uh, especially as a single dad to, to be dealing with, with a kid like me. Um, not not saying that I'm I'm special. It's just a pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> and um, and so yeah, you know, I think I think for him, he realized at a pretty young age, probably around when um, I actually remember as a kid, I had infringed on someone's trademark, um, and I ended up in this big legal thread with like 13 corporate lawyers, and I was like 13 <laughs> at the time. And I was like, okay, like, who do I know who's a lawyer? I'm gonna CC in my pop. And I think like in like that's when he realized he's like now all of a sudden CC'd into this massive thread. Um and then from there, he was really always the parent who um, you know, I was like, hey, like I wanna, you know, upgrade my computer. Like he would take me to the sh- the the like the store and um if I needed enterprise software, like he would pay for it as opposed to I think. Um, you know, a lot of parents are like, why do you need, you know, $250 software? Like it's not, (laughs) um, and so, yeah, and he's really always been supportive. I mean, from, from those times to when I started Coder, uh, my previous company, you know, I was 17 at the time, um, you know, moved down to Austin, rented a rusty tin shack on the East side for our first office, um, you know, to, not only support that, but he actually, when I told him that I was going to move from New York to Texas, um, he was like, okay, let's go. Um, wow. and to like, think about what, what type of father, uh, you know, is, is up for that and yeah. like supportive of that and like bets on his kid in that context. Um, yeah, I, I can truly say that I would not, I would not be anywhere near where I am without him. Hey guys, Zach here. So over the last year, I've interviewed over 50 short-term rental investors that are building portfolios of all shapes and sizes on this podcast. I've spoken with hosts that have 70,000 followers on Instagram, which is one vacation rental, SDR investors that are building niche hospitality brands with a target of 10 to 20 units, and also with property managers that oversee hundreds of units. As such, I receive questions all the time from listeners who want to get started in STR investing and or who want to scale their portfolio on what resources I recommend that they tap into. And here are three reasons I always recommend they check out an AirDNA subscription. First off, AirDNA offers the most accurate data platform in the industry and is trusted by small and large scale investors across the globe. Second, their easy to use tools unlock access to millions of data points on any property anywhere. And third, you can enter any address in the world to find out how much you'd earn as a vacation rental. Pretty cool, huh? So if you're interested in getting into the STR game, or if you're interested in taking your game a bit more seriously, I've got some exciting news for you. AirDNA is giving Behind the Stays listeners 20% off their first three months of any MarketMinder subscription, or an additional 20% off any annual MarketMinder subscription. You can use the discount code BTS20, BTS is in Behind the Stays 20, at checkout. Oh, and if you don't listen to it already, I highly recommend that you tune into the STR Data Lab, which is a podcast hosted by Jamie and Mariah, the VPs of research and marketing at AirDNA. It's a super badass show, and it's one of my favorites in the industry. All right, as soon as this episode is over, be sure to check out AirDNA's MarketMinder subscription and use the discount code BTS20 when you're ready to dive in. Is, is he, how involved is he in in wander right now like are you do you regularly give him updates is he cc on a lot (laughs) of the big emails like uh what what does that look like yeah i mean i try and i try and spend as much time with him and have him as involved as possible i mean he's 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 really um i think a long time ago i recognized um actually i saw this post when i was a kid which basically 
showed uh, the screen of someone's phone and it said mom. And then the other one said dad, right? Like you're receiving a call. And it said like, if you still get these, like this screen popping up on your phone, you're very lucky because one day you're not going to get those phone calls anymore. Hmm. And I remember seeing it and just being like, okay, it's true. Like one day he's not going to be around. And so I'm going to try and involve him in literally everything and spend as much time as possible. And so, yeah, he's super active in Wander. And obviously he's a, he's a world-class lawyer in and of his own. So uh, very useful from a, a legal perspective to have that, have that around. Yeah. What a, what a special sort of like bond. Like I, like I think about a lot of people's relationship with their, with their fathers and, you know, oftentimes it's a, fairly complicated relationship if, if there is a relationship yeah, uh, at all and so it's cool to hear I don't you know I don't hear stories too often of uh, fathers and sons in particular having these sorts of relationships um, especially ones that are that are meaningful beyond just a personal relationship but but can kind of venture into the business space as well so that's uh that's really special I'm, I'm, I'm excited that you shared that with us yeah absolutely I think it just goes back to this idea of work-life harmony right? Um, you know, I don't spend too much time outside of work. And that means that, you know, if, if I want to have my friends or family involved, you have to create those threads, right? Whether it's investing in your friend's company or uh, in, involving your father in, in the legal, you know, shenanigans or whatever that looks like. Yeah. And so I think you have to be really intentional about trying to create that harmony and creating a schedule and creating those relationships. And I like to call them threads. Like when you, when you're going a million miles a minute and you meet someone truly spectacular who you want to know for the rest of your life, you have to create a permanent thread, whatever that is. You have to do something with them. You have to invest with them, whatever that may look like. So it's something that I I definitely advise to, to anyone listening who goes a million miles a minute and feels their personal relationships slipping away is try and try and establish those permanent threads with those people. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic framework there. I I I really like that. Uh, very well said. So I want to talk about Wander here um, in in just a second. But before we do so, I'd love to get sort of the Spark Notes overview of of what Coder was and and then also what it was like to be a Teal Fellow. And for those those listening, many are entrepreneurs. Uh, others are deep in in the STR space and and real estate investment. Uh, real estate as real estate investors and might not be familiar with the with what it means to be a teal fellow. So, could you again share a little bit about Coder? Talk what it was like. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what it was like to be a teal fellow, and then also just define that for folks who might not be familiar. Yeah. So, I started Coder with my co-founders um, when I was seventeen, just turning eighteen, and the the, the vision was basically that the future of, of software development wasn't going to be an engineer's local machine, that 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 compute was going to move to the cloud. And if you could do so, you could create a radically better experience for software engineers. And so we moved down to Austin to start that company, couldn't afford the rent to New York, rented a rusty tin shack on the east side and, and got to work. Um, and that company ended up doing pretty well. We raised about $45 million dollars a bunch of large enterprise clients like uh, Palantir and, mm. and others. And um, and yeah, really, it was just all about um, helping helping engineers write, write code in a more productive and secure and collaborative way. And, uh, and that business is still going. It's ran by my co-founder, Amar, now as CEO. And um, yeah, it's really, really spectacular, incredible team, incredible investors, just... Um, yeah, super, super glad for the the part that I played in building that that company. Um, so yeah, I ran that that company as CEO for the last five years. So wow, you know, as you can imagine, quite the quite the education from uh, from yeah seventeen, eighteen to twenty three, <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, somewhere in between became a Teal Fellow, thirty under thirty, all that fun stuff. Um, and the Teal Fellowship was really really special. Um, it includes a lot of great entrepreneurs and creators. Uh, like the creator of Ethereum uh, was a, a Teal Fellow, Dylan Field of Figma yeah. uh, was a Teal Fellow. Um, and so a lot of really great young entrepreneurs. And, and basically what it is, is it's a it's a program created by, by Peter Teal for entrepreneurs who really just didn't go to college. Um, and it's interesting because the main value that's created from it is this idea of 
of fellowship and friendship. You know, as a kid, there are very few, um, there are very few people who are ambitious in doing what you're doing and see the world the way that you do, um, let alone who are who are your age. Yeah. Um, and so basically what the fellowship does is find those 20 or so kids every year and brings them together and then uh, gives them all $100,000 that says, hey, like, go and start your journey. Obviously, for me, I was I was pretty well on well on our way. I think I think Coder had just raised our Series A um, when I was brought into the fellowship. But for a lot of kids, that's like how they pay rent, right? Or otherwise, especially if they didn't have a supportive of a family. And so, yeah, it's a really incredible a really incredible program. Um, I can say that uh, the few the few friends that I do have really all originated from around that program. And hmm. so, for that, I'm, I'm super grateful. Is there, do you all have like, is there like a master group chat of like all Teal fellows that, that, uh, that you get to be a part of, or like, is there like a class or cohort specific group chat? Yeah. So there are, there are group chats for the classes and then there's obviously sort of intermingling yeah. between them. There isn't some master, uh, chat, which I'm kind <laughs> of glad there isn't, as you'd imagine a group chat gets unwieldy past like three or four participants. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let alone, let alone that many. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really spectacular thing. It sort of creates like almost an alumni like network yeah. for kids who obviously didn't go to college or, or, or have that like typical alumni like experience. Um, and yeah, that's really the biggest thing is it's just a, a group of, of highly ambitious kids who, uh, yeah, who are sort of on their, on their way and, and had no type of, um, like social structure to support them. Yeah. Uh, so took a very, very lonely, uh, lonely path and, and created some, some friends around it, which was, yeah, really wonderful. Yeah. What an, what an incredible opportunity. Um, and I think you're being quite humble here. This is a, this is a incredibly coveted, um, uh, opportunity by, by many. So it's, uh, it's a, it's, it's awesome that you got to be a part of such a incredible group of people that you got to take this path, um, and, and come out so humble. Uh, you're, you're, you're pretty humble, dude. I, I, I get, I get very humble vibes from you, which is cool. Humble and smart, um, which the the best of both worlds right there. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm very lucky. That's for sure. So I want to talk about Wander. Um, most of the folks that are tuning into this podcast, are probably familiar with Wander, but for those who might not be, can you give us sort of the the Shark Tank pitch for for what Wander is? Yeah, so the and I'm not really great at pitching, so you'll have to you'll have to excuse me here. Um, but the the big idea is really um, to verticalize the 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 short term rental space, right, and provide this sort of merger of the hardware and the software, so to speak, to create this really great guest experience. And so the, the way that I like to explain it is sort of using an Apple-like analogy, right? Where Apple owns the hardware, so where the software runs, and then they also create the software. And it's that tight pairing of the two that creates this really great guest experience. Effectively, what we're trying to build with Wander is saying, okay, what are the different pieces of the stack as a short-term rental operator, right? Yeah. You have a booking platform. So how a guest discovers you, obviously above that, you have the demand and the brand. Underneath that, you have property management. And then underneath that, you have the actual ownership of the asset. And then behind that, you have the actual investing that goes into it. And so the idea with Wander was to create this brand to own the technology, how a user books, own that user data, own that experience, integrate that with the property management so that you can have things like uh, guest notes and um, automations and all those different pieces. And then really that final aspect was asset management, owning the asset, you know, being able to create an investment product around it, all that sort of interesting thing. And so what you end up with is really... Uh, this total vertical experience for the guests where they go create a wander account book. And then when they go to the property, they're all standard across all of them. They Mm. can control the entire house right through their phone. And then with the recent launch of Atlas, which is uh, our REIT, they can actually own a piece of that portfolio as well. And so you end up with this really incredible vertical guest experience, but then also this flywheel where more guests equal more investors, more investors equals more properties, which equals more guests. And and that kind of goes and grows from there. So 
that's sort of the big the big idea is is really a a verticalized hospitality brand around yeah. short-term rentals and then and then going and scaling from there yeah which is which is so unique and 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 whatnot especially you know right now the, the experience is, is somewhat siloed you've got like the otas out there kind of like the the airbnbs right of the world or obviously not the host themselves then you've got you've also got yeah. the, you know pms systems and 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 these software companies that are popping up to help hosts and property managers manage their portfolios and you know they're and then you've got the guests themselves right um and so you've got these like four at least four different sort of um steps if you will in in booking uh in booking a stay that that often happens you guys are trying to take all of that all of those siloed components and uh and integrate them so to speak while also harnessing the latest and greatest in tech coupled with an incredible uh you know beloved brand exactly right and it's it's super interesting when you actually break down how many players there are in providing a guest like uh, a place to stay right like we said you have the ota you have the property management software you have the operator let's say that operator has you know someone helping them with communication and then you have whatever lending they have set up for that there, there's all these different pieces of the puzzle and what's what's difficult is and i think a lot of operators recognize this is number 1 a lot of these systems don't talk to each other yeah. they you know break and are clunky and and feel like they were created by people who just had no idea about the problem set and they're also all trying to monetize really a, a limited um, a limited stream of cash flow, hmm. right? You have obviously what the guest is willing to pay for their stay. And then you have multiple parties trying to take their cut of whatever that is. And I think for operators particularly, you know, this is something that everyone is really familiar with is that, um, you know, the, the margins can be really thin if you don't own a lot of that cash flow. And I think that's why a lot of folks really love direct bookings and yeah. otherwise. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that for me is like frustrating to see for all these operators out there as well. Um, and certainly something that I'm excited to, to explore as Wander, you know, grows is, um, yes, is supporting these, these smaller operators as well. Yeah. So we'll be, we'll be sure to, um, yeah, I, I just, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to to take our learnings and the products that we've built and otherwise, and and uh, not not make them just just for us. Yeah, um, make them available to everyone. So that'll be something exciting over the next uh, next year or so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I want to dive into that uh, a little bit more in, in a second here, but. Hey guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. Just back up a, a smidge, if you will. So you're you're at Coder, right? You've 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 built this uh, great company with your with your co-founder. Uh, where do, where does the idea for Wander originally come from? Like, were you staying at an Airbnb and thought, hey, maybe there's a way we could do this better? Like, do you travel a lot? Like do you have a strong affinity for hospitality? Like where, where does this idea originate from? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, so when I was a kid, like I said, I enrolled in high school online. Um, and so I spent a, a ton of my time away from home. Um, I've been to all 50 States, dozens of countries, just, uh, I mean, I think probably on a percentage basis, probably 60% of my time was spent on the road. Wow. And so um, travel and adventure is just something that's like 
very core to me. I think it's also interesting that when people think about um, opportunities and ideas, they always start by looking at their resume and saying, you know, okay, um, like, what do I have experience in? Let's say someone spent 20 years in sales. Um, it's like, okay, I guess my next job will be in sales. Um, rather than looking at who the person is and really diving into like what they love and what they're passionate about and, and beyond. Um, and, and so for me, when I stepped down from Poder, I rented this cabin out in Colorado, kind of get away, think about the world. And um, it was interesting because I knew that I wanted to start another company. I probably had a list of 20 other ideas, all vastly different than Wander. Um, but you know, I I knew that whatever I worked on next, I wanted to work on for the rest of my life, hmm. you know, until I became old and crusty and fell over, right? As long as I had the opportunity to work on it, um, I wanted to be working on it as long as I was I was so lucky to. And um and you know, as I was as I was thinking about that and, and thinking about the things that I loved, and of course, like in this environment, um you know, the, the idea for Wander sort of came around this opportunity and sort of the fragmentation and this opportunity to verticalize and, um, and the idea space generally, right. You think not just about this verticalized opportunity and sort of the, the luxury segment, but then you think about the products that this type of company can create and can it create distribution to not just the guests, but can it also productize for operators and, you know, what can we do, to better serve the industry as a whole, um, which, you know, candidly, I, I truly do feel like it is very underserved right now. I think it's underserved for guests. I think operators, it's incredibly underserved. Um, and so we're very excited to sort of expand into both of those, those arenas. And yeah, the idea just wouldn't let me sleep at night in hmm. sort of the best way. I mean, I remember, um, I was very fortunate that, uh, the investors in, in Coder um, wanted to work with me again. And I remember uh, telling Redpoint the idea. Um, and first of all, Redpoint is the most incredible firm you could ever, ever have the honor of working with. And Alex Bard is um, probably like the best soul on the planet, just an incredible partner. Hmm. Um, and like, you can imagine like Alex's surprise when you have this kid who spent you know, his time and enterprise developer tools, um, just like passionately ranting around like this idea for wander and this verticalized nature. And of course it was much harder to see back then because there was nothing other than, um, than me just talking about it. Um, but yeah, I was, was very, very fortunate that, um, that, that people believed in me, which, um, is quite, quite the privilege. And, uh, and yeah, everything came together pretty quickly and, and we were off to the races. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask about what it was like pitching investors, right? So talk to us a little bit about, I believe this was this was in late 2019. Is that is that about when, when uh, you were going around pitching? Maybe, or? Yeah, so we started the company May 2021. So we're about 18 months old. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So May, 2021. So as you're talking to folks about this, like what, what, um, what language are you using? What positioning statements are you using to help them understand one, how this is different from an OTA, like an Airbnb, uh, two, how this is different from, you know, a a saunter, right? Like, like how, how, what, what sort of language are you using to help folks really get this quickly? I think the short answer is, is that, um, all the best ideas are not easy to understand quickly. Hmm. You kind of have to think about it a little bit. Um, and convincing someone to think about your idea is not easy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I remember when we were raising our seed for Coder, um, the idea of moving software development to the cloud was not like a common thought. Um, we were also 18 at the time. We had we didn't even have a LinkedIn, um, <laughs> and so you have like you have these kids like you know sending cold emails to these investors and like giving them this pitch and um, you know of course when like you get in get into their offices your heart's beating at a million miles a minute 
Um, and you're just so nervous that you don't even care what the result is. You just want to make it out alive. <laughs> um, and I have so many stories. Oh my gosh. Of, um, our laptop shutting off mid pitch Oh geez. people like, you know, people shitting on us and also the kindest human beings you could ever imagine as well. So there's obviously a mix. Um, and also I'm very cognizant too, of the, the luck that I have that like, like that's only something that you hear about in the United States, right? That like, yeah. you know, a bunch of 18 year olds could even get an office in a meeting. Um, yeah, very, very privileged. Um, but yeah, the, the short answer is, is that I, I think that it would have been even more difficult if I hadn't built a company previously. Um, and the people kind of understand who I am and how I work. And when I say that I'm going to do something, I'm going to dedicate my life to making it happen. Um, and even if it doesn't work out, like I'm going to literally leave myself, uh, like, I, like I will fall apart before I let the company fall apart, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think a lot of it was that, but I also think too, that it became more obvious as people were really starting to travel and had these experiences at you know, lesser, um, lesser quality short-term rentals and otherwise that, um, there was this opportunity, this user opportunity. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that the short answer is, is that you have to, you have to be in a position to be able to convince someone to bet on you, which is incredibly difficult. And you have to be incredibly persistent and make as much progress as you can. And then really what people are going to look at is, um, what did you do? Hmm. Um, you know, you really need to be making as much progress as humanly possible. You need to be giving them an excuse to invest. Um, and so speed is really everything when you're kind of dealing in the venture world, which goes back to like, how do I spend my Fridays and weekends? It's really like keeping things moving. Um, so yeah, it's, it's certainly, it's certainly not easy. Um, and really what you want to do is just uh, put together the story, put together the idea, make as much progress as you can, understand that it's not meant to be easy. Um, that's like raising around is months of work, um, you know, 18 hour days, like it's exhausting. You're being told no all the time. But I always like to say that um, raising around is probably the easiest thing you'll do in your startup. Um, and so if you can't, if you can't make that happen, then the rest of the company is also going to be pretty difficult. So, uh, yeah, that is a uh, that's that's great advice. So, when you think about like the timing too, right? So you said May May of twenty one um, is when you all incorporated. Are this was this was when sort of like things were booming, right? And we, we were Absolutely. sort of in the in the peak of like work from anywhere, right? And people were like renting. People in New York were staying in Vermont for like a month, and you know, young entrepreneurs were flying all over the world and like renting out like you know cabins with their friends in that cost a thousand dollars a night in the middle of nowhere, but they could do it because they were doing it in a group and they could all work remotely, right? And as long as they had great Wi-Fi, everything else was was set. So I would imagine that during that, that, that this particular moment in history was was especially conducive to to sort of the 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 laying of the foundation of wander is that is that correct like how much how much do you give credit to sort of like timing with respect to this idea oh i think i think anyone who doesn't give credit to timing or even luck when they talk about their business is um has, has to kind of check their ego a little bit yeah um and I think that that's also something too about when you decide to start a company, you need to be thinking about the timing. Um, I think for us though, what was most interesting is that we were actually very focused on um, looking ahead hmm. and understanding that rates aren't going to stay at zero forever. Demand isn't going to be at this level. You know, uh, capital isn't going to be as available. And so, how do you create durability? And I think that that's really the other thing that we really focused on when thinking about, okay, is there the opportunity to verticalize is that for us, we own our demand, right? So mm. for a lot of operators, um, you know, when Airbnb turns off performance marketing, for example, um, like that just immediately stops driving demand across the platform. But for us, you know, obviously we drive our own demand. We also own the users as well. So we can continue to market to them, retarget, et cetera. Um, like all these, all these different pieces. And then we also thought about where we wanted to be focused on. And, and if you look historically, 
you know, sort of the more affluent users tend to be more durable consumers in any type of downward trend. Um, and so we really thought about all these different pieces as we you know, put together the company and wanted to make sure that it was going to be durable regardless of the macro environment. But yeah, the, the timing when we launched was definitely something that we took into account when starting the company. Um, and then I'm very glad to see that our thesis around owning the demand, owning the user, focusing on this end of the market, et cetera, proved to be correct. Mm. And then also too, I think the thing that we're seeing a lot of right now is that travel specifically is continuing to grow despite the general macro uh, environment, just because users have been locked up for you know the last two years. Um, and so the, the key really is then, like, how do you continue to drive demand? How do you continue to, to reach these users? Um, and then the other thing as well, obviously, is how do you compose your portfolio so that on a portfolio level, you limit the effects of seasonality, which I think a lot of operators are also starting to feel right now. Um, Wander is, is kind of a special case. We've we've operated at about 90% of bookable occupancy since we've started. Wow. Um, but you know, if you look at December, for example, December was the same case for us. It was around 90% of bookable occupancy. The market data for the areas we operated in just due to seasonality, I think was like mid thirties. Um, so quite, quite the overperformance on our side, which is really thanks to the verticalization, but as a operator, you really have to be focused on how is seasonality going to affect your cash flows and make sure that you're either setting aside that buffer, or if you have a portfolio, think about the portfolio composition to say, okay, what areas are going to perform well in the winter? What are going to perform well in the summer and try to try to even everything out? Yeah, and and on that note, um, you all seem to have have been have released new new wanders, new new properties, in a very strategic fashion, right? I, I was talking to somebody uh, in in the industry recently, and one one of their remarks was, I, "I'm just I'm just shocked that Wander only has as many open uh, homes as they do, and and yet people talk about them like they've got hundreds of properties. When what I think you guys have what a, a dozen uh, around a dozen right now is is that true? Yeah, yeah, it's somewhere around there. Okay, okay. So it seems like you guys have been incredibly diligent in in thinking very critically about about growth, right? And and how to open and where to open and the cadence that makes that makes the most sense. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that with us? Like, I, I'm sure there's been yeah. an incredible pressure to to grow faster, to to open uh, more availability in, in more locations. How how have you thought about that? Yeah. When you when you think about um, when you think about a business like Wander, um, you need to be incredibly confident that you're making the right investment decisions in these locations for the users, for the brand. And really what you want to be sure of is that you're not scaling something with negative unit economics. Hmm. This is something that um, QED investors uh, who, who led our Series A, um, really a group, a group of founders from Capital One started that firm, talk about constantly, right? Is this idea of having positive unit economics and then scaling those as opposed to what a lot of companies do is they, they put growth ahead of like basic business thinking yeah. and run their company into the ground. And so for Wander, I recognized pretty early that, and really as soon as, as users started to get excited about the brand and the experience, that the, the way that this company was going to, to fail would be if, if we didn't think thoughtfully about, um, about our growth. If we just went and started acquiring homes at over market or in areas that didn't have demand or areas that didn't lead to a good guest experience or, or beyond. And so the moment that you recognize like, okay, what are the clouds on the horizon for this company and how does it fail? Which, um, you know, frankly is where I spend the majority of my time, right? Is looking <laughs> on the horizon for clouds, trying to understand like, if this company is going to fail, how does it fail and why? And, you know, to that end, you end up being extremely thoughtful around growth. You end up having a lot of questions that you want to make sure are answered before you go and scale. 
you know, how do you scale operations? How do you scale guest communication? You know, what automations can we add so that we're not scaling headcount as we add all of these locations? How do we ensure that the company's path to profitability is within the next six months as opposed to the next six years? Yeah. All these, all these various questions. And that was the other thing too, when you talk about Wanders is seen as a company that has a huge relevance with relatively few locations. And that's really why we picked the population centers that we did and are really focused on this idea of we want to have a location within three hours of 90% of the United States, hmm. which allows for us to have a very small number of locations, but be culturally relevant to hundreds of millions of people, which is very important when you have a platform perspective. And so, yeah, the, the short answer is, is that you want to be correct when you're investing. You want to be thoughtful about the user and the market. And then you want to make sure that you have the infrastructure to actually support it so that when you do go and scale, you can. Now, Wander's, Wander's growth this year is going to be um, pretty intense. We just closed this uh, $100 million facility from Credit Suisse. Um, and so we're now at the point where I feel confident in sort of all of the answers. And we see that all the unit economics are obviously positive and that people like the guest experience. And so we, I feel comfortable going and scaling which should be a good buying opportunity as well in this in this market. But at the end of the day, we have to remain, you know, very vigilant. We can't scale headcount, you know, all these different pieces to ensure that Wander is a company that's around for a while, as opposed to sort of like um, yeah, just just a, a flash yeah. uh, on the timeline. Which which I think only comes from from a leader, quite frankly, who who has a long-term play here, right? Like if if yeah. if you, John Andrew, were, were were here to work your ass off for three years and then hope for an exit, right? Um, I, I don't know that this particular strategy w- would make a lot of sense. Um, and and I do think Wander, uh, I don't know that it, its trajectory would would look as positive. But because from from the get go, in our conversation, you've been talking about this is a, this is a project, this is an opportunity that. You know, as long as you're able to, you'd love to work on for the rest of your life. That that sort of perspective, one, and, and not just eases investors, I'm sure, but two, it also I think adds a lot of credibility to the brand, and and it helps build trust to for with, with consumers, right, uh, of said brand. Um, let alone your your team, your employees, etc. So that's 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 an incredible perspective. I I do want to ask a little about the products that you all have. Um, that you all have launched kind of around the, the core product, which is this incredibly unique guest experience in these beautiful, uh, you know, internet of things empowered sort of homes. Um, talk to us about Atlas and and where where that idea came from. Um, again, it sounds like this is part of that that kind of initial idea you had for Wander, but why did you all decide to roll it out at the time uh, that you did? Where is it at? right now and and what's sort of the the shorter term vision for for the growth of atlas yeah so alice is um the the first vacation rental re as far as we know because it's hard to prove a negative um and when you when you think about real estate obviously finance is the other side of real estate um at the end of the day each one of these these homes boils down to um a, a cash flowing asset in some spreadsheet. Um, and so what you what you look at and and end up creating is this um, really the institutionalization of of short-term rentals, yeah. right? You have um, this this cash flowing asset um, that's sort of underlying is, of course, just a single family home uh, or vacation home. And then you have this operator, and then of course you have the strategy on top of it to maintain demand and otherwise. And so the way that I saw it was that obviously, you know, to scale the number of locations and beyond, you were going to need dedicated real estate capital. You know, initially when when we were first starting out, we were thinking, okay, can you just fund this with the existing capital markets? You know, just um, your large care facilities and and uh, senior and mes and yeah all these different pieces, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, what we were really trying to solve for was this idea that the portfolio could stay with us as long as it was performing. Um, So how could we be sort of buy and hold investors? How could we generate these great returns and have control and keep this verticalized idea? And so that's really the sort of thinking behind Atlas, right? Is it's allowing for 
our users and individuals and investors to own really a professionally managed institutional grade uh, vacation rentals in this sort of emerging asset category. And, um, and yeah, it's been a, it's been a hell of a, hell of a journey sort of creating <laughs> Atlas, creating a read, creating a read is not I'm like getting flashbacks to the last like six months, um, <laughs> sleepless nights. You know, creating a read is not easy, especially when you sort of have this internal mandate of creating one that's institutional grade in every way. Um, and working with people like Latham Watkins and Ernst and Young and all the audits and all this sort of stuff to make sure that it it, it passes um, passes muster um, was just like an incredible amount of work. But the end product is just so efficient, hmm. uh, which is what's beautiful. I mean, a REIT, a REIT has to distribute 90% of its income to its shareholders. Yeah. Um, and when you look at the, the returns and the fees of Atlas um, and sort of our underwriting criteria and the end asset that investors are owning, right? These not just like cookie cutter short-term rentals, but these truly incredible locations. Um, it is just an incredibly efficient, uh, stable um, investment vehicle in a in a really exciting asset category, which you know we're we're very excited to to grow and and the interest has been really incredible and so um, we look forward to it. But I think I think what's also interesting is that the returns are very similar, if not will exceed um, people just looking to go and start a short term rental. Hmm. Um, and so obviously we'll 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 see you know how things continue to to grow and. And and otherwise, but um, but yeah, we're, we're very lucky that um, the interest and excitement around Alice is what it is. Yeah. Last minute cancellations suck, and that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. In, in terms of in terms of sort of like headaches or the things that keep you up at night, is does Atlas kind of like take the cake at the moment or uh, what what component of the business is uh is most readily on on your mind these days? Yeah, I mean, gosh, that's a great question. Um, you know, Atlas Atlas currently has like twelve hundred investors in various parts of the flow, and quite a few of those are also institutional. So, like, you know, twenty fifty million dollar checks. Yeah. Um, getting those people through the flow has like landed on my shoulders. Um, and so obviously like the team is incredible and it wouldn't be able to do it without the, um, but that's like the biggest thing that's on my mind, especially as we walk into our Q4 board meeting um, and sort of look at, look at the year as a whole is um, yeah, just, just getting everyone through the flow, dealing with the different pieces that are sort of um, like, breaking at scale, right? Bugs that users are running into or otherwise. Um, but yeah, it's, we're, we're so lucky because everything's really like, um, opportunity problems, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's not like, uh, the, the world is ending problems. It's like, if we can get this right, we're going to be on an incredible path. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that that's really the thing that keeps me up at night is that I think that if people look at wander, if if wander if wander fails, 
I truly think that people will look at it and say that it was a good idea and a good brand and a good space and a great team and they just screwed it up. Hmm. Um, and like, that's the thing that keeps me up at night yeah. is that um, like not trying not to screw it up. Um, yeah. So, yeah. 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 It's like, it's like, you've got, you've got, you know, uh, the, the table is set, right? Uh, you've, you've got all, you've got all the right components. Um, you let, you know, I would just add to what you just said too, like the timing too, right? Like the, this, this moment yeah. is, is, is beautiful for, for Wander. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot of pressure, dude. Gosh, I, I really hope, I, I hope you get some, I hope you can find ways to like shut the brain off occasionally, like once a week, just like, uh, I don't know, take a sleeping pill or something like that to, to, <laughs> to be able to, to relax. Cause, um, we need you sharp, man. You're, you're building the future of hospitality and, and, and travel tech. So, um, you, we, yeah, we can't have you, uh, petering out on us. No, I will. Uh, yeah, I haven't, uh. I haven't burned out yet. I'll, um, I'll be, I'll be fine. That's for sure. And yeah, I feel, um, again, just super grateful to be able to be working on it. And I think too, the, um, like our present is very exciting, but the future is even more exciting. Again, you think about all the products that, that can be built in this idea space and yeah. all of the operators who need better tooling and all these things that we can, we can do, to, to improve the ecosystem and, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very excited for it. So is there, are, are there like one or two things you could share with us around ideas that are in kind of a incubation stage? I would love to share with you. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, I learned a long time ago that you can talk about what you're doing, but you can't talk about sort of like strategy in the future. Yeah. What I can say is that um, I have met so many incredible people inside of the community of vacation rentals, and I am so familiar with their pain points and the software that exists mm. and the the how they are treated from certain guests and certain platforms. Um, and it's it's just such a uh, I, I very much look forward to solving that for them. Um, yeah. so that's, that's what I can share in terms of the, the, the future that I'm excited for beyond obviously scaling our core. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's incredible. I'm really, really excited to see, uh, to see what comes of that. A uh, couple, couple final questions for you, man. One is around, you know, most of the folks who are tuning into this conversation today are short-term rental hosts and, and hospitality entrepreneurs. Many of them have their their own portfolios. They might have, you know, five to 10 uh, uh, homes. They might have, you know, a couple hundred homes um, and, and be more of um, uh, an operator. But one of the things that kind of like unites our listeners is that they all really care about branding and marketing and and growth um and using the latest uh in tech to help automate some of their their flow um and uh, and their systems so i wanted to get your thoughts kind of two to three quick um ideas and or uh and or words of wisdom for folks that are really interested in building lasting brands for for their portfolios for their businesses you guys again have just done such an exceptional job at this, um, and I'm curious what what advice you'd have for for folks that are trying to do the same. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think obviously there's um, there's so much opportunity around creating a brand for your individual location, creating a brand around your portfolio. Really, the thing that I recommend the most is trying to own your user data. Um, it is, it's incredibly difficult to build repeat bookings and to market to your previous guests and otherwise if they're obfuscated um, and their contact information is, is sort of hidden from you. Um, and there are a lot of different tools that you can use, even if you're sort of reliant on the major OTAs. Um, I've seen a few tools that allow for the user information to be gathered when someone connects to Wi-Fi, for example, or otherwise. And so that's really what I would recommend to these operators is to try and figure out how you can connect with your host or with your guests outside of sort of this this platform that yeah. doesn't want you to yeah um because it's just it's so critical when you think about what is the cost of acquiring a user and then if that user can never come back to you or can never hear of you again um you're just a revolving door it's just a services company 
Um, and the other, the other thing that I would say too, is, um, be really thoughtful around what is your strategy with your portfolio? Do you want to own it for all of time? Do you want to sell it? If you do want to sell it, who do you want to sell it to? Um, you know, all these different, different questions. Um, and so that'll sort of guide you in terms of what your strategy is and, and how you build durable demand and all those, all those different functions. Um, but yeah, I would say owning your user data is really one of the most critical things for independent operators. Um, and there are a few solutions out there, but yeah, to, to be able to remarket to people, especially in a, in an environment where these larger companies are pulling back their marketing efforts, um, because of, you know, public market pressures, um, is super critical because at the end of the day, like their bottom line may improve, but the operator's bottom line is the one that's getting hurt. And that's, uh, yeah, it's not 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 a good place. So, so well said. And I'm glad you brought up that that last point because I think I was talking to a host frequently, or frequently. I do talk to hosts frequently. I was talking to a host recently, though, who was talking about how they're uh, they're just seeing sort of like this dramatic decline in 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 bookings, and they can't figure out you know why. They've got forty thousand followers on Instagram. Like they've they've done a really good job at like building up building up their brand. Uh, and come to find out uh, after they did a little bit of digging and whatnot, they think uh, a major OTA in the space, uh, we'll just leave it at that, has pulled back significantly on their spend on on performance marketing such that they're just yep. they're they're not showing up in search results they're uh, l- like they were uh, even just a few months ago. And again, this is totally outside of the control of of the operator. Um, so love that you exactly mentioned that. Right. And I think it's something that few people are, quite frankly, even aware of. Um, cause, cause yep. most of these folks are so focused on, on building their, their core business. Um, they don't have time to think about how OTAs are leveraging marketing spend. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, um, yeah, again, the things that I'm excited about is, uh, is yeah, sol- solving that for people as well. Yeah. So it's an exciting dude that's exciting, exciting John Andrew. Ah, gosh, I, I cannot wait to see what the, what that looks like. Um, uh, dude, last, last question for you. Um, What's a what's like a hot take you have on on the future of of travel and hospitality? Hot, a hot take. Um, well, a warm take. We we will settle for a warm take too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, I I think when you look at industries um, and marketplaces over time. What you what you have is everything starts very centralized, um, which I think if you look at the hospitality space, you had you know hotel brands and otherwise where um, where they they had these large locations and these large brands, um, and then what you had was in in other industries is sort of these like online marketplaces that start to pop up, which we've all sort of seen in the space. Um, and they make their money from sort of obfuscating and otherwise. And then you have like the empowerment stage, think like Shopify or otherwise yeah. that allows for these operators to be their own, um, their own independent, um, you know, beings. Um, and, and what you ended up having in those spaces was a huge uh, explosion of these third-party services um, for these different stores. Um you know, in e-commerce, for example, shipping services, tracking services, et cetera. And I think what you're going to end up happening is going to end up happening within the short-term rental space, which is is going to really take place over the next, let's call it like three or four years, is that the services that are available to operators are going to really explode. Um, but they're going to end up being connected through a singular a singular platform or gonna, there's going to be more interconnectivity of them all and it's going to allow for sort of any operator to effectively run their business without thinking about let's say the performance marketing of an OTA or or beyond um, and then what's going to end up happening is you're going to end up seeing a lot of roll-ups hmm. of these independent operators into yeah. these massive portfolios and it's sort of this like life and death uh um, cycle of like centralization, expansion, individual operators, and then roll-ups and otherwise. And so what I would say my hot take is, is that this will end up being the most profitable period for short-term renter, or rental operators when you look at sort of the, like their IRR is, 
if you're starting these, these locations and you're able to build a brand and build a business around it, and then think about your sale correctly, um, it, it could be a really incredible opportunity over the next, uh, three, four, five years. And so I guess that would sort of be my, my hot take is that even though the macro environment is sort of changing, the institutionalization of the asset category is sort of coming very quickly. And that's an incredible opportunity for existing operators or I'd say really new operators to try and take advantage of, but you have to be incredibly thoughtful about your portfolio, the brand and the location, because at the end of the day, again, every, every short-term rental boils down to a, um, to a spreadsheet. So you need to make sure that your numbers are correct. Oh gosh, so well said. I'm just gonna package those last couple of minutes and uh, ship that off to a bunch of people I know in the space because that was a uh, very well said. Uh, v- v- lots of lots of nuggets of wisdom in there, sir. Um, John Andrew, I really appreciate your time and am just genuinely thankful for what you and the Wander team are building. I think you have already served as sort of this this uh, this lighthouse for people to look at um, and talk about and kind of you know uh, take take notice of learn from. So really appreciate all the grit, all the hard work that you all have put in um, and incredibly, incredibly excited to see what happens with you all over the next several years. For folks that want to learn more about Wander, we'll have links to Wander's website in the show notes below. We'll have uh, John Andrew's uh, Twitter handle there as well and Wander's Instagram uh, as well. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. John Andrew, thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe, um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone, see you next time.